Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Keep your whole home running like clockwork. From the office to the game room with Xfinity Internet, you'll get the best in-home Wi-Fi experience with reliable speed and coverage. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today to learn more. Restrictions apply. The following is a true story. I had a lady that was in her mid-70s, and I'd sold her timeshare, and that was the lowest I'd ever felt in my life. I knew then that I had to do something to simply not to go to hell for selling timeshare. Chuck McDowell founded Wesley Financial Group to help folks cancel their timeshares permanently. Called her and everybody that I'd sold timeshare to, and I said, this is what I said to you that was a lie, and this is what you need to do to cancel your timeshare. From that point, people started referring friends to me to help them cancel the timeshare, and that's how it all started. I fought the world's largest timeshare company in federal court. If I had lost that lawsuit, there would be no one helping people that have been lied to when they bought timeshare. If we take you as a client, we will cancel your timeshare or we'll give your money back. That's what makes us different. Call Wesley Financial Group now for a free information kit. 800-885-4884. That's 800-885-4884. 800 885 4884. This is the Cubs related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan, and we are coming to you on a Thursday evening, October 4th in Chicago, which of course means that. The Cubs are not playing in the playoffs anymore, or we would not be talking to you right now. The Cubs drop the wild card game at Wrigley Field on Tuesday evening, 2 to 1 in 13 innings against the Colorado Rockies, who moved on to play the Milwaukee Brewers in the NLDS. And that, of course, means that the Chicago Cubs season is over. Folks, again, it is October 4th and the Cubs season is over. This is certainly not uh, the time or tone of this podcast that we were hoping to be coming to you guys with uh, in the history of this podcast, which is only a couple years. But uh, we have never come to you this early with a post mortem edition of the Cubs related podcast. And that, unfortunately, folks, is what we have for you today. So we will 
uh, talk somewhat briefly, I think, uh, about the wild card game. I think more general thoughts on that. I don't think that uh, you guys want us to, nor do we want to, uh, relitigate every inning of that <laughs> almost five-hour affair uh, that we all literally suffered through. Uh, so we will spare you of that, but we'll, you know, give some general thoughts on that. And of course, on the season, as this is uh, now with, you know, the way it all worked out, our first sort of uh, opportunity to look back at the regular season and the very abbreviated postseason that was. We will also delve a little bit, in a, in a, I think, a general sense, into uh, Theo Epstein's end-of-the-season press conference. He spoke for over an hour with uh, beat writers an and reporters and from the minutes. Chicago media. Yeah, and so we will uh, discuss that, I think, firstly in a general sense, uh, and then I think we're going to use that press conference and the topics that Theo delved into uh, to maybe guide our journey through October together, because uh, we all have nothing to do or talk about, and uh, we are not going to turn this into uh, the you know, MLB playoffs related podcast. Uh, this is a Cubs podcast. So we're going to have to uh, get a little creative with what we're going to talk about here. This is a uh, new territory for you guys as listeners and us as hosts uh, to kind of fill this time where normally we have been watching the Cubs play playoff baseball. So I, I, I guess, Brendan, let's just get yeah. into it. Uh, I'll, you know, throw a, a little setup here for you and then I'm going to turn it to you. Uh, I'm going to let you kind of give those first initial thoughts. I'm going to keep them uh, a little close to, to my vest for a couple more minutes here, but uh, pretty simple. And I'm actually going to kind of lay this out uh, in one of the things that Theo said in his press conference. He, he made this point pretty clearly. Uh, the Cubs had three opportunities on Saturday against the St. Louis Cardinals and Miles Mikolas on Monday against the Brewers and Jehulis Chassin. And on Tuesday against the Colorado Rockies and Kyle Friedland in the wildcard game, they had three opportunities all at Wrigley Field. If they win one of those games, they are playing earlier this afternoon in Milwaukee. Uh, again, we're recording this on Thursday evening after the Brewers have already beaten the Colorado Rockies in game one. Uh, not only do the Cubs not win one of those three games, they score one run each time. And... In 13 innings on Tuesday against the Colorado Rockies, they can only muster one run and six hits, Brendan. And there really isn't much, even if I were doing a, a normal in-season recap of this game, there, there really wouldn't be a lot to talk about. They did uh, basically nothing against Kyle Friedland. In the eighth inning, down one to nothing, uh, the Rockies scored in the first inning on a Nolan Arenado slack fly. Uh, Javi Baez drives in Terrence Gore, who pinch ran for Anthony Rizzo. He steals second, and Javi brings him in with a double to the left center gap. And that was about it. We moved uh, to the 13th inning, where Kyle Hendricks had taken over for the Cubs in, I believe, his second inning of work. He uh, gets in a little bit of trouble, and it is Tony Walters. Oh. Of all the people in the Colorado lineup, it was Tony Walters, who I believe stepped to the plate with a 170 batting average on the season. He lines one up the middle. 
the second run scores, and the Cubs go down uh, without literally any fight in the bottom half of the inning, and that is all she wrote. We were uh, escorted out of Wrigley Field, the lights went off, and that is your season, folks. So, Brendan, I'm going to throw it to you. Uh, You know, you can give some general thoughts on the wild card game or the, you know, the season as a whole. Uh, but it's, it's a little bit of a, you know, and I think Theo kind of was indicating some of this throughout his press conference. It, 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 it's a little befuddling, I suppose, to even a few days later be sitting here and, and trying to dissect this team and all that went on. You know, you have a 95 win team, the second best record in the national league. Uh, but they, just can't get it done uh, in a in a few opportunities at the end of the season here uh, to kind of keep things going and and you know survive in advance, if you will. So it it's, it, it feels a little confusing exactly how to break all this down because uh, in in a lot of ways the regular season was uh, a success and you know certainly within the framework of this four-year run post-plan period of Cubs baseball, uh, 95 wins is a lot of wins. Uh, they, they fall just short of winning the division, but uh, a pretty harsh, a harsh grinding to a halt uh, of this season and, and a pretty weak uh, way to be sent out of the playoffs. So I guess uh, take it away, brother. To be honest, Corey, like, I don't want to spend too much time on that wild card game. I don't think anyone does. It was a microcosm of what we saw in September, but the the main issues in that game were main issues that Theo brought up, and they were lasting issues the entire second half for the most part. But that was brutal, man. And I, I think the lasting thought is it sucks. It sucks that this 95 win team that was built to be one of the better offenses in the league and one of the better pitching staffs in the league did not come through. And of course, 95 wins is something to be extremely proud of and being in the playoffs for the fourth straight year. Again, extremely something to be proud of, but like you knew, and I think we all knew watching this team didn't feel like a 95-win team. And maybe that's me being spoiled. Maybe that's just me being a privileged fan at this point. But you you hear Javi talk about the team and just focusing on other teams and not themselves. It just it it was a it was a weird year, Corey. And that's that's where I am with that. You it, it, specifically for that wild card game, I guess even if they won that you were kind of delaying the inevitable. You go with three of your starting pitchers with Hamels, with Hendricks and Lester, of course. It, you were delaying the inevitable. So I guess if there, if there is a silver lining here, I guess they get to rest up for three more weeks, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, man, there's so many topics to talk about. And I think one thing I look forward to hearing after every season, win or lose, of course, is listening to Theo and He's able to kind of address all of our concerns so acutely and with so much detail and transparency. He's always willing to spend 
even in this case, over an hour talking to the media, fielding questions, and you have to appreciate that. And so again, yeah, like you said, Corey, we'll, we'll talk about that. But my lasting thought from this season, when I look back at this season, it will be either a turning point or it will be kind of, <laughs> I don't want to sound too negative here, but it would be, it'll be a turning point for the good or it'll be a turning point for the bad. And this off season for me is extremely different from previous off seasons. And I said this to you when we were talking earlier, but the, the difference between this one and previous ones is in 2015, you knew what the Cubs were going to address. They wanted more contact guys. They went out, they got Zobris, they got Hayward, right? After they won the World Series, not much needed to be done. And so, of course, they didn't really do too much. They did trade for uh, Wade Davis. They got a closer to replace Chapman, and they went in with their young guys in 2017. And they, you know, they went back to the NLCS. They played well. This season, who knows what they're going to do, man? There's there's potential holes on offense. The, the rotation's getting a little bit older. The bullpen has injury concerns and a lack of reliability. It's a different era. And I, I, that's why I think this one is so maybe unsettling for me, but at the same time, that's why I think listening to Theo say that was encouraging to some degree, Corey. So you're calling this the Pat Hughes turning point moment this is for the, the organization? Pat Hughes for the or, for the system, yeah. top to bottom, the turning point. I, I mean, am I wrong there? Seriously. No, I don't think so. Um, I, I do have a couple things uh, I want to just sort of note from this wild card game. Um, the first is a, a pretty simple one. And I actually, before we got on, I, I said to Brendan, I'm like, I'm not sure where I'm going to work this in, but I'm going to get this in somewhere. I'm going to do it right now. <laughs> just to get it out of the way. I do not ever want to see Daniel Murphy in a Cubs uniform. He's a free agent, no, so he should not be. Off but the team. holy cow, was he awful yeah. for these last few weeks. I, and you know, almost a, a, a microcosm in a sense of the whole season where it was like, you know, you just, he came over, he, he hit well when he first got over to the Cubs, you <laughs> had these expectations. And I think even when he was struggling in the back of your mind, you're thinking like, he'll, he'll get it together. Like he, he's such a good hitter. He's has such a good track record. Like he's going to get it together. He's going to play a big role for this team. Uh, in these last few games in the playoffs, et cetera. He was terrible. He was just terrible and, you know, uh, offensive to watch in the field. I mean, literally, like, to to people that study and watch baseball, um, really offensive watching him just do things in on defense because it's just awful. It's so ugly and poor form and everything. So no more yeah, Daniel Murphy. Yeah. Please um, go away. Do not come back. Yeah. See ya. And then there's no like, thank you for anything. Like just goodbye. Like we tried, get out of here. Didn't work. Take care. All right. Um, the other thing is Brendan, thank whatever deity, religion, etc. you believe in. I am <laughs> thankful to it on Tuesday night because Brendan, if this offense had hung an L on my guy, John Lester, after he goes out and throws six innings of one-run baseball, sets a playoff record for himself with nine strikeouts, okay, 
If he had taken an L in that game, I can guarantee you this would have been the first expletive allowed podcast in this show's history. And we wouldn't have talked about the wildcard game. We, we almost we got there, We would not have too. talked about Theo's press conference. Yep. It would have been me literally cussing out everybody on that team for making John Lester take that L <laughs> in that game. So thank you to Javi Baez for bailing everybody out from that because that would have been I, – I, I really – like I could barely handle what was going on. But that would have my, – my brain really would not have been able to handle that if, if John Lester had to suffer uh, a loss after the way he pitched. Um, I, you know, it, it was really frustrating. And I think it, it – you know, like I was saying with Murphy kind of being a microcosm of it, um, we had talked about this team's offensive inconsistency the entire year. Um, we had mentioned it early on. We had talked, I think, sort of towards the all-star break you know, that it maybe seemed like they had kind of had some more time to develop with Chile's philosophy and, you know, sort of what they were trying to do and uh, what they wanted to cut down on, obviously, from from seasons past. And, you know, the inconsistency never went away. It, 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 it got worse down the stretch, obviously. But we had talked about all that. So, like, I... I I knew it was a thing. I knew it was possible, right? Of course it it was. They were doing it, you know, for most of September. But I I knew in the back of my mind that that it was very possible that this team was just not going to hit for an extended period of time and they would just struggle in the playoffs. But, Brendan, I just never in my wildest dreams did I think that they would not be able to get more than a run three times with a chance to advance their season. I so like when when that game on Tuesday is going and we're in the middle innings and they're down one to nothing and they're they're stranding runners, they're they're having bad at bats, you know, Friedland's pitch count was at times looking like he was going to be able to just uh, you know, complete game shutout the the whole thing. I like I was really in disbelief, man, and I don't know if I'm an idiot for not just expecting them to do that again because they'd done it so much. Uh, I think we talked about it on the last podcast, uh, or Brendan and I talked about it separately. I, it's hard to keep separate sometimes, but uh, <laughs> that you know the Cubs were second in the league to only the Orioles in games where they they scored one or zero runs at like thirty nine, and that was the regular season. So obviously you add and then the Marlins trail the Cubs, so two of the worst. Everybody teams in the league. at the top of that Come list, on. except for the Cubs, was one of the worst teams in the league. And like being close to Baltimore yeah. in anything is awful. Baltimore was a thousand games out of first place. That a real number. Don't look that up. You can just trust me. A thousand games. Thousand to one. Yeah, the MLB. When you're that bad, they just they they penalize you. It's a weird system. Yeah. But, yeah. I know so it's weird. I don't know, man. Like I don't know if I was just being naive. Like because I, I I feel like we've broken down the flaws on this team. So I I don't think I was being naive. I was well aware that it had happened a lot and that it was certainly possible. But I I, I don't know. There's just something in me and and like with this group that I I just expected them to play better. I didn't expect them to come out and, you know, oh my God, it's the 2016 Cubs. Like, isn't that great? Like, but one run every time, I mean, six hits, they scored two runs on nine hits in those two games on Monday and Tuesday. I, I like part of me just couldn't believe that that's what I was watching. And it, uh, 
yeah, it was just, I, I mean, I think the only word for it is just disappointing. It, it, and, you know, maybe anger a little bit. Um, but it was, it was a different feeling at the end of, at the end of this year compared to, uh, 2015 and 2017. I, it just, I, I, it's hard to articulate exactly what the difference was, but, uh, like in 2015, I remember feeling so proud of that team and how far they had gotten and, and the run that they had taken us on, uh, you know, 2017, it felt more like, you know, they just won the world series. This was a good effort. The Dodgers were better than them all year. They're playing better than them right now. It happens this year. It, it really was just that I, I was just sitting there. Like, I can't believe they're doing this. I can't believe that I'm watching this uh, again for the third time in 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 four days here, where you just anything to bring a run in. I mean, you can't accidentally get a run. It just was uh, disappointing. I think is is really the main word for it. And you know, I think the only other thought I had beyond Lester was, you know, kudos to the pitching staff in that game and, and really down the stretch here. I, I hope that that doesn't get lost in the way this season ended. And, you know, now as we move to the off season here and, you know, it kind of sounds like from Theo that this off season is going to have, you know, maybe some, uh, some teeth to it, if you will, right? Like they're hungry, they're pissed and they're, you know, maybe going to make some pretty serious moves in the next few uh, months here. And yeah, so I just I, I just hope it doesn't get lost in everything how good this pitching staff was. Not only on Tuesday, you know, in in keeping the offense in it uh, for thirteen innings, obviously giving them literally thirteen opportunities of three outs to try to push some runs across the plate. But in down the stretch in general, in that second half, they were very good, and especially you know you look at those last few weeks. They were really good. I mean, there was a couple clunkers in there. You know, Hamels had one against the Diamondbacks. Montgomery had a bad start. But in general, like this pitching staff was really good and and was able to keep an offense that just was gone, invisible in a lot of games. And you look at these games uh, that they just needed one. I, you know, we're going to we're probably going to keep referencing these three games at the end of the stretch because that ultimately is to a degree, what it came down to. Uh, But they allow two runs on Saturday. The offense can't turn it into a win. Three runs on Monday. The offense can't turn it into a win. And two runs in 13 innings on Tuesday. And they can't turn it into a win. That's, I guess, what I mean. I, I know the offense was flawed. I know it was inconsistent. We talked about it a lot throughout this season. But I, I, even in saying that just now, I can't believe that that wasn't good enough for them to win one of those stupid games and not be in this situation that we are right now. And in in the wild card game on Tuesday, you have Lester go six, Chavez, Rosario, Ciszek, Strope, who comes back. He wasn't even healthy. He's talking after the game that he's pitching in severe pain. He was lights out. That's how good this pitching staff was. They're all literally going to die on that mound, and the offense couldn't bail them out. Hamels comes in for two, Justin Wilson, Kyle Hendricks, who ultimately takes the loss, but was still pretty good in this one, and Jorge De La Rosa. So I, I just, you know, wanted to make sure that, you know, I'm not really sure where all this is going to go, you know, in all these discussions, but the pitching staff was really good. The pitching staff gave them every opportunity to uh, not be playing on Monday in the first place. And they gave them every opportunity. The pitching staff gave this team every opportunity to uh, advance 
in in the playoffs and in this season. So I hope that that doesn't get lost and everything, you know, and as we move to the off season and, you know, you already see it. Some people like, well, what are they going to do about the pitching, blah, blah, blah. The pitching was great. The pitching had nothing to do uh, ultimately, even as inconsistent as it was early on and with losing Chatwood and Darvish and Morrow, this pitching staff was really good and ultimately did not you know, really play the role of, uh, you know, the, the key component here in why this season is over so early. So I, I think that those are my predominant thoughts from, from that game. I, I thought, you know, you could nitpick some of the things that Madden did, but I, I didn't really think that any of it was egregious. Um, I, you know, disagreed with a couple things, but ultimately like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't really think that, uh, any of those are hills I'm I'm really finding necessary to die on right now. Yeah, the Madden did not cause this lack of offense, um, especially in that last game. You can nitpick Madden's decisions. Sure, you can go do that. But the reality is this team did not hit. And it's it's funny to think that this is how the Cubs are going to go out. The pitching was a huge issue. The starting pitching in the first half of, of this year, even in last year in 2017, the starting pitching in the first half was a big issue. But the one consistency that the Cubs had, even though at times they were inconsistent, was an offense that outmatched everyone else's in terms of depth and ability to slug, to take walks, to work counts. All of that was thrown out the window this last month, Corey. I did not recognize this team. And before we move on here to talk about Theo's comments, I, I share this with you, but it was almost like the perfect metaphor, except it was real. The fact that Terrence Gore, Terrence Gore, Corey, was batting third in place of Rizzo, got multiple at-bats, and he was batting in the last inning to lose that game is remarkable from where they were two years ago. This is a team that led the league in walks, led the league in slugging. Right. It was one of the best. I mean, it's mind-blowing. Well, and, and, and Brendan, mind so just, just for clarity's sake, you know, and then I, I suppose we can maybe move towards, you know, wrapping up the wild card game discussion because it's, you know, pretty depressing. But I didn't have a problem with the execution with Gore. I never liked taking Rizzo out, but they don't tie the game if he doesn't make that move because Rizzo's not scoring yeah, on that ball. I didn't mind it. I know some people wanted Gore to go in in the Earlier, seventh inning. Yeah. Or, yeah, which I, I think when Ian Happ drew that leadoff walk, they're like, all right, let's 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 put Gore in. Um, I understand the logic with Madden. You know, Ian Happ, I get he's fast as well. But you don't want to burn two guys right there. And if you remember, Corey, all they had was Caratini on the bench going into the extras. Right. So, like, I, I, I understand you can nitpick these decisions, and I totally get it. I really do. But that did not cost him the well, game. Well, so, but I, I just want to say one more at. thing since we're talking about Gore. Yeah. Brendan, I, I, I think I've said on here, I have not played baseball, uh, but I have been around it a lot. I've had the opportunity to, uh, you know, be in, in, in some dugouts at, at various professional levels, just kind of, you know, doing video work or observing what's going on. How in the world... Brendan, how in the world is that 3-2 pitch to Terrence Gore not an automatic take? How yeah. is he not given a signal that under no circumstances does that bat leave his shoulder? I, I mean, that is one of the most confusing things 
maybe I've ever seen on a baseball field. Not only is he not bunting, which is fine. He doesn't lean into the pitch. Also sort of fine. I understand it's instinct. Uh, You know, uh, when I was working for the Michigan baseball team, the dugout would have yelled, wear it to him in that situation. So I'm, you know, kind of used to that mentality a little bit. Um, But that's, that's all fine, right? Don't bunt, fine. Don't lean into the pitch, fine. It's instinct. But a guy that can't hit, who's so fast, the pitcher's wild, he almost just hit you, and you swing at ball four that is nowhere near the plate. What on earth was that? Can't happen. I mean, like like I said, I to be like to be honest with you, Corey, I'm I'm done talking about this game. It's 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 too depressing. It's it's remarkable that they even got to that point. I do want to transition into what Theo said, just because it defines where they were in September. Yeah. But to me, it defines the theme of the entire year, and it shocked me. I think what Theo said in his press conference on a variety of different topics shocked me. But the one that shocked me the most was the theme of urgency. I am floored that Joe Madden's team, that this team had a had a lack of urgency perceived by Theo Epstein. That's right. remarkable. So let me let me read this quote here. Um, and it's a long one, so bear with me, but I, ha- I have to do it, guys. All right, so Theo said, quote, there was a lot to grind through and there is a lot to be proud of, but we could have done more from day one through game 162 as far as complete sense of urgency every day, being completely on a mission every day, showing up with that edge every day to win. Again, 95 wins are tremendous. Sometimes divisions aren't lost on the last day of the season when you only score one run. Sometimes you take two or three and not get swept earlier in the year. You know what that makes us? Human. But that killer instinct is something in 2016 that we had. The guys who have been here the whole time acknowledge that. Game 1 through 162, we had that sense of urgency. No complacency. We were completely on the mission. That can put you in a position at the end of the season to rest and repair. We have to own this and be honest about that. It has been a little bit different since 2016. We have to get back to that, Corey. That is insane, insane to me. And yeah. I, 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 we like so Corey and I had a, had a conversation right when they lost. By the way, so this is you know bonus coverage you have here. But the one thing I said um, to Corey was like how. On earth, am I looking at this team questioning like mentality and simple stuff? This was a team that I thought in 2014, 2015, I would never have to talk about these issues because it's just so such common sense. And even for Joe Madden, like I love, I love Joe Madden. I really do. This makes no sense to me that these guys had a lack of urgency. I I just don't understand that. I really don't. And um and I I to some degree I do understand just because like Theo said, it is human nature. You get a little bit overconfident, if you will. Maybe this is just semantics, I'm not saying it appropriately. But I guess it does make sense to some degree, but like, I don't know, man. They invest so much into the mental side of things. They stress character so much. They have the best player manager in the league. How can this happen, Corey? Well, and interesting too, because Javi also alluded to something I think similar in his post-game comments where he said that, uh, you know, it just didn't feel right at times. You know, they, they never really, uh, 
you know, felt like they were clicking for like extended periods of time. That's paraphrasing what he said, but it was, you know, kind of a similar vein of just that, like, you know, and I I think that when I was listening to that portion of Theo's press conference, you know, it was almost like kind of like a cartoon, right? Where like your ears perk (laughs) up like Bugs Bunny or something like that. It's like, did I hear that? Like, (laughs) uh, yeah. Okay. Like what, you know, that's like a, it's like he's subtweeting Joe Madden, but in this press conference. Um, but at the same time too, at the same time, I do want to just, just provide context. Theo did go on to say that he likes being around Joe Madden. He likes that Joe Madden is a manager. He was very defensive of Joe Madden's time yeah. as the Cubs manager and very defensive as his future with the Cubs right. in terms of 2019. So at the same time, yeah, maybe this could be like kind of subtweeting Joe Madden, but it not to lose this in, in the situation. Joe Madden will be the Cubs manager next yeah. year because Theo wants him there. When next I year. think sometimes, you know, this stuff is healthy for an organization, of course. you know, like, and, and yeah. I think that's part of the deal, you know, especially like you have a very similar core uh, to the one that you had even in 2015, you know, a lot of these players are the same. The environment is the same. And when you have the same manager and front office, you know, it's, it, it's a good thing that they, you know, maybe don't see perfectly eye to eye on everything. You know, that's how you avoid things getting stagnant. And, you know, I think both Joe Madden and Theo Epstein and his, his crew are the type of people that always want to be learning and advancing and, you know, making sure that they are staying up with, you know, the new trends and paradigms and stuff like that of the game. So I think when you hear something like this, I, 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 I said subtweet because that's sort of what it sounded like, it, No, but that's I, what I, it I didn't, was. I mean, I interpreted it. The right. Same way. I, I didn't, I don't think that that has to have as negative of a connotation as, the word subtweet does. I think that it's simply yeah. Theo saying, you know, maybe in other years, certain things that we did made sense. And, you know, looking back on this year, you know, there's maybe certain things that we did that ultimately, you know, have me sitting here talking to you guys on October 3rd and not November 3rd. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and I, and I think, you know, we talked about it. I'm sure you could go back to a lot of the episodes that we did and, and, and find uh, series and games and stuff where, you know, at the time, because it's April or May or whatever, you know, we, we don't dwell on it too much or we write it off. But, you know, I was talking to you, Brendan, a moment ago about how many games I can think of where, you know, we are messaging each other during the game going like, why is Luke Farrell pitching right now? You know, or why is Randy Rosario in this game in this exact situation? Uh, you know, or why is this pitcher being taken out with 80 pitches and, you know, not uh, going, you know, for, for more depth or anything like that. Right. Like, I feel like we talked about that a lot and, you know, again, ultimately like you don't know at the time that the difference in your season ending or or continuing is going to be that 95th or 96th win, right? That's a very difficult thing to project out or, or even really defend against in some cases. Uh, but, you know, it did kind of feel like Theo was alluding to like, you know, there was probably some games we left on the table um, in an effort to, you know, maybe get more rest or just not, you know, press that urgency button so early because you didn't want to peter out towards the end. Going back to Madden, I, I do want to read verbatim what Theo said about Madden. Quote, I don't want a yes man as manager. There should be discord. 
and debate and healthy, trusting relationships. And that's what we have. Um, I don't like going home the first day of October, but that's not on Joe. And I I agree with that. And I, I think Joe did take a lot of heat. I still will criticize Joe because um, I just don't think he, you know, did some things that I agreed with this year. I think uh, how he handled the media in the remaining few months was surprising to me. He used to be picked on about being too positive. Remember that, Corey? Just listening to him in August and September, maybe this was just natural, and we were all venting at the time too, but it was weird. It was like this flippancy, this like dismissiveness of of really any outside idea of what was going on and the flippancy of like, look, I can't fix the offense. Like That was kind of what I was interpreting, and it just to hear that from Joe was very unfamiliar for me. Right. But at the same time, I think what you said about sometimes you need this to grow, I think you nailed it. And that's why I make this year the, the Pat Hughes turning point year because, look, sometimes you do need to fail. And you need to fail on a, a grandiose level to really make changes and to adapt. And I think this could be a perfect opportunity, not just for Theo, not just for Joe Madden, the players, but everyone involved in this organization from scouting to to the mental side, to the medical staff. And we won't get into it now, but I, I do think it's funny because if you were listening to if you were to listen to Corey in, in our conversations throughout the year, like the the medical staff, I'm not gonna get into it, but even Theo said like yeah we're we're gonna be more preventive on injuries this year and handle that better. It's like Man, really, everything that we thought and at times that I was in denial of, like I was in denial of urgency. I was in denial of maybe the medical issues were, were really being taken care of and not being and, – and this is just my you know making this up in my head. No, these were legit issues and I, I think it's kind of encouraging that Theo did address that. But at the same time, it's, it's scary, man. Like from, from this franchise, from this organization to get to this point, it's, it's remarkable to me. But I, I, in a weird way, I don't know how Theo does it, but he makes it encouraging. And for some reason, I'm not as teed off or down about it as I was 36 hours ago. So I think, yeah, man, I don't know. That's, that's where I am. I, I, I really don't think this is on Job at the same time. I, I, I'm just blown away that urgency was a theme. This is not what I would expect from this team. It's not what I would expect going forward. I just, I can't believe that. I really can't. And so just to, to lay out where we are and, you know, maybe it can kind of steer us in another direction here. Um, the Theo said in his, his press conference on Wednesday afternoon that they were going to finish up, uh, with the player exit interviews on Wednesday and they were going to uh, be wrapped up with the coaches' exit interviews uh, earlier today on Thursday. So as of recording this, we do not have information as to whether there will be changes amongst the coaching staff. Uh, Theo was, you know, noncommittal in those answers, um, though he did at one point express that, you know, continuity is important uh, and that, you know, bringing in a new hitting coach or pitching coach every other year, not really the best strategy. So it wasn't necessarily <laughs> a, we're not going to fire Chili Davis, but it was also a, if we don't, there's 
you know, I'm, I'm sort of trying to lay a little of the groundwork as to why we might not do that. At least that's how I was uh, kind of hearing what Theo was saying. But if, if you had to pick, and I know you hate doing this, but and of course, the news might break by the time you're listening to this. But do you think Chile is back, Corey? Honestly, what does your gut tell you? Well, I, I, I will say that I was a little thrown by what I just said the, the the portion of where he said that you know continuity is important um and that you know they're not really looking to be making a turnover all the time i i would say i'm leaning to expecting him to be fired uh you know i'd put it maybe 65 35 but i i again i think that continuity remark did make me kind of think twice about it. Um, the, the thing that stands out to me is, you know, one thing you have to remember, right, is we can't properly break this down. Nobody can, other than the people that work in this organization. So if you're listening to other podcasts, even, you know, the, the folks on NBC and, you know, guys like David Kaplan, don't let anybody tell you that they know what the problem with this offense was because the only people that know the answer to this are the people that know exactly what Chili Davis and Joe Madden and the coaching staff, et cetera, were having people do. And so you, you can't just look at this. And I think we broke this down when we talked about, uh, you know, Chris Basio and John Maley being let go last year. It's not possible to know, right? You guys have I assume most of you guys listening have been a part of a sports team or, you know, some organization, right? And and people on the outside could look and say, oh, okay, well, this person is in charge of X, so whatever is the result of that department, it's got to be his fault. And I think as someone who's in the organization, you know that's not always true, right? And right. th- there's just a portion of this that we're not really ever going to be properly able to dissect because we just don't know. And you can look at a lot of things that Chile has preached in his interviews and, you know, just other teams that he's worked for. But, you know, then you have to ask yourself, well, how much did the front office ask him to do? You know, when you look right. at some of the stuff that happened with his offense this year, that was stuff that he was specifically brought in to do. It didn't work in terms of the overall product, but they wanted him to cut down on strikeouts. They wanted him to up the contact rate. They wanted him to get the team using the whole field more and not necessarily just relying on home runs all the time. So does that strategy backfire? Obviously, we just talked about how awful the end of the season was because they couldn't (laughs) score runs. But how much of that is exactly Chili Davis's fault it's it's tough to say. And, you know, then you also don't know, like, okay, here's what Chili Davis is telling, say, Wilson Contreras to do. Is Wilson executing his portion of, you know, this 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 give and take, right? It's a two-way street, right? So, again, I'm not defending Chili Davis. If this was my organization, he would have been gone on Wednesday morning. And not necessarily, again, I don't know what exactly he was responsible for, but for me, the performance in that last weekend and, you know, again, the three games that I keep bringing up, Saturday against St. Louis, Monday against Milwaukee, Tuesday against Colorado, just unacceptable. And somebody's got to pay for it. That, that's really how I look at it. It's, you know, maybe a scapegoat situation, but I, I don't really think it is. I'm not blaming Chile. It's just, 
in a situation like this, my opinion would be this is an unacceptable result and somebody has to fall on the sword for it. It, it, We can't just move on. And, And that's part of the reason that I say, I guess I'm leaning a little bit toward them not bringing him back is I just, I, I, it's tough for me to imagine how they rebuild like the confidence in Chile, not necessarily within the organization, but just to the fans and the media. It just feels like it's going to be a relentless subject. His name got brought up more than anybody's in that press conference from the media. During introductions, apparently, I don't know, you were at the game, so you wouldn't know, but I was talking to Crawley. He said the fans booed him when he was introduced. So I was, uh, I think I've explained my pregame playoff routine before. Were your headphones in? I had my headphones in, so I did not hear this. I was sitting (laughs) down and had my headphones in. So I... Yeah, that's such a cool. Going to have to pick do. a new hype song, by the way, which is kind of sad, but uh, <laughs> it's all right. But uh, anyway, right. you know, it, it again, it, it's tough to litigate, and you know, and I and I don't want that, um, you know, kind of ambiguity to mean that you know, well, we can never know. So Chili's off the hook; you can't blame him. You definitely can put some of the blame on it, even if you don't know all the details. I just always like to point that out because it's it's just such a a nuanced situation, you know, and, and I, and I think that sometimes people have this vision that the hitting coach is like similar to how the pitching coach gives signs to the catcher. Like, you know, he's like looking at Rizzo and giving him a sign saying like, this is going to be a fastball. I want you to look outside and yes, you're going to swing on that pitch. It's like, that's not how it works. You know, you guys know that everybody knows that, you know, at a certain point it is on these players to execute. And so I just, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I I don't want to defend Chile, but I also want to maybe prevent this notion that it's all his fault. And and I think the main reason I want to do that is because I also don't want people to think that if they fire Chile Davis, oh, now everything's fine, you know, because we got Chile out of here. He's the one that was, you know, poisoning the waterhole, right? Like that we don't, Uh that's not the case. They've, they had the same problem in the playoffs against the Dodgers last year and against the Nationals. And Chile. And in 2016, man, even during those stretches against the Dodgers early on. Like newsflash, Chile Davis was not the hitting coach here. So that's, that's why I say that. But I do lean towards him not being back just because I I don't know. I just it, it's hard for me to envision this topic going away. Just like it, and and you know, dude, like they go and they could play the first spring training game next year and score one run, and everybody is going to lose, you know, lose their collective <laughs> mind. Even if they have Bryce Harper in right field and Manny Machado uh, in the middle infield, they score one run. People are going to be like, oh my god, it's chilly all over again. You know, blah blah blah. So I don't know. Yeah. It just feels like that's. When 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 situations like this happen in organizations that have such high expectations, you usually see some movement. You know, maybe a little turnover. Yeah, somebody should just get a fresh perspective, right? There's a, a billion you know media ways to spin that decision. Um, so that's that's where I'm leaning. But like I said, Theo's continuity comment about not wanting to you know constantly be bringing in new coaches uh, did you know, kind of, you know, I, I got a raised eyebrow out of me. It made me, you know, kind of like pause and think for a second, like, it's interesting that he would say that. That does kind of reshape if I think Chile will be back. So, but I do, I do want to mention this because I think Chile Davis was hired by Theo Epstein and Joe Madden. Okay. So they consciously, and they knew what they were getting with Chile Davis. 
they consciously made the decision to try to change the approach and mindset of their hitters. And guess what, Corey? It worked. It worked. Chili Davis, like you said, made these guys hit the ball more. And I made this comment. You can go back on CubsInsider.com, but even in, in April or May, I'm writing these posts like, look, Kyle Schwarber's contact rate is league average. Addison Russell's contact rate in the zone is so much better. Wilson Contreras is making league average contact. Javi Baez is making more contact. He did it. Okay. The problem is they expanded their zone to make that contact. And part of me wonders if the intention was accurate and and correct in terms of trying to get these guys to make more contact and improve situational awareness. But at the same time, their youth, as much as a sponge as some of these guys are in terms of adapting, maybe it's just too much for them at their age. Maybe they just like changing how these guys hit is something they can't do right now while adjusting to major league pitching. And I'm not in the dugout. I'm not in the clubhouse. None of this, right? Speaking as an outsider, but I do think like Chili Davis did what we all thought he would do. It's just, is that strategy appropriate given this time? You know, not everyone can be Chris Bryant and and improve your contact rate drastically while continuing to hit for, for power. That just can't be done by everyone. So as much as we kind of, you know, got a little teed off with this team in 2015 and even that sometimes during 2017 was just power or do or die offenses maybe that's who these guys are they they draft these power hitters they drafted schwarber they drafted half they knew they had these swing and miss issues and they knew they had these contact issues but they knew they could hit 30 40 maybe even upwards to 50 homer potential for some of these guys that's who they are but that that's kind of where I'm at with this Shelly Davis thing personally. Like I was, I mean, I was disgusted, Corey, with what I saw. This is not the team, the not the offense I grew accustomed to seeing. And I enjoy and I appreciate and I follow closely all these adjustments, but there's, I didn't like what I saw this year. And, and I, I think for me, I kind of grew to accept that like some of these players, they are who they are. And it could be a detriment to take an extreme philosophy and try to change them. This is who they are. And they had success in the past. But top to bottom, Theo said, we need to figure out what went wrong. He described the offense as broken. And by the way, we're going to get into more offense, Chili Davis, once news breaks, you know, next week or whatever. We'll have a Chili Davis episode if we need to. But just going back to Theo, what he said is a top to bottom issue a top-to-bottom sense of evaluation. They will have to evaluate their decision to bring Chili Davis in. This is who he is. Now, whether or not they want to change that, that's going to be a top-to-bottom issue. But the front office made that conscious decision to try to accomplish a tangible increase in situational hitting and contact. And guess what? It backfired. It backfired a lot, guys. And that is something that needs to be fixed. It really does. Yeah, well, I, I don't. I, you didn't run that by me. I don't know if we'll be doing a Chili Davis episode. I think you know you. Well, I'll be doing a Chili Davis. Episode well, I mean, to. I'm heated up by this. I, I, I know, but you know, the the podcast. You know, we need to generate numbers, Brendan. And I think you run the risk of if you do a Chili Davis <laughs> podcast of getting zero hits. So, uh, well, you know, Paul, I want to I want to clarify nothing too, for like, that pun. I um, thought that was pretty good. 
I, I'm sorry. I'm Thanks. just too too heated up yeah. right now. But again, this is who Chili Davis is. I'm not saying that Chili Davis can't have success with a different group of guys. I'm just saying like the 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 results are there, and for a 23, 24, 25 year old bunch of guys, they just didn't adapt. They didn't respond to Shelly Davis. And I think that's fine. That the the intention was accurate. I think we all agree. Like yes, situational hitting was an issue last year, but you know what? It did backfire. And I think if Shelly Davis goes to a different team, maybe a veteran team, he could have success. And I'm not I'm not talking bad about Shelly Davis per se. I just think the results and the philosophy for this team just didn't mesh and maybe they will bring him back and maybe it does take time but i don't want to run that risk we're getting to a point where these guys are getting a little bit older i don't want to screw up their development yeah and you know i think it's one of those things too you look around the league and i think you can always i I think look at teams who you know different philosophies may work in certain places and they don't work in others you know and and uh I think that the Brewers are a pretty good example of that and, and you know, what Council does and what he's willing to do. You know, you saw today in the game uh, one against the Rockies, you know, they, they go with Woodruff to start the game. They're doing a bullpen game and it worked for them. And, yeah. you know, that's sort of an example of it. Would a, would a classic by the books, you know, manager, you know, maybe in the vein of, of Dusty or Lou Pinella, somebody like that, you know, not a good fit for that team and, and, and not a good fit for what they have, you know, and, but, but someone like council willing to, you know, not use a starter to start the playoffs, it works for them. You know, you look at the Rays, they had the same thing, you know, they, they, they went to a totally unconventional schedule. They had one of the best records in the league in the second half when they started doing that uh, with their pitching staff. So it's just to say, you know, sometimes, like you said, Brendan, you know, the intention may work, but, in practice, right. it just, you know, it just doesn't mesh that well. But I think that, um, you know, one of the things that really stood out for me in in this Theo press conference was was really just his overall uh, demeanor and, and just the, the, the yeah, and, and I, I think his his sort of brutal honesty in, in, in some of these topics. And, and that really stood out to me. And I think, you know, kind of like I said uh, earlier, you know, about this offseason, maybe having some teeth to it, like, it it really felt that way. It felt like this was kind of Theo subtly or not so subtly saying like, you know, 95 wins is great. We're very proud of that. You know, normally that's going to win you your division. Um, we battled through a lot and, you know, we're not trying to gloss over it. I, I'm th- I think I'm paraphrasing at one point. He really did say this, like it, it's great and we're, we're proud of it. And, and it's not something that we're just, he did say we're not just throwing this in the trash. However, the way this, you know, season ends just wasn't acceptable. Like he literally said that. He said the performance in, you know, this last, uh, you know, weekend or, or whatever of games was just flat out unacceptable. And he was very forward, I think, about pointing out that he is the president of baseball operations for this team. And anything that happens uh, falls under his purview. And it is ultimately his responsibility, you know, so even then, you know, you're thinking about the chili stuff, the Joe Madden situation, even though that it's over with at this point, uh, you know, Theo being pretty clear, like, look, you know, we can, we can talk about, you know, what job I think, uh, 
each of the coaches did or each of the players or the scouting department or the medical department, but ultimately it's all my department and I need to take responsibility for that. And to me, you know, that again kind of went with the whole theme of, you know, now you've got what felt to me like a pissed off Theo Epstein feeling like this team underachieving is ultimately his responsibility. And it kind of is, but no, it is like, I, and, and and when I hear him say that, I think, okay, well then I would plan on a a very aggressive next few months for everybody uh, as fans, because if Theo is telling you that this is his responsibility and that it wasn't good enough, you can probably be pretty comfortable in betting that he's going to do his best uh, to not be giving that same press conference a year from now. So that was the real takeaway for me was just how I think pointed he was in saying like, it's a good season. You know, we're proud of our group. We're proud of our players. We, we love the the group that we have and, and the, the, you know, the people throughout the organization, but we need to figure out how to not have this result because this just simply wasn't good enough. And I, and I think it really illustrates, um, you know, kind of a, a bit of a conundrum that, that I, I see a lot of fans and, you know, even, uh, you know, media members and stuff like that in how they're talking about the Chicago Cubs right now. And, and I, I, I'll, I'll throw it to you on this, Brendan. I'm curious for your general thoughts on this, but you know, there, there seems to be a, a pretty decent divide amongst, I think, especially Cubs fans who are trying to find the right balance, uh, like Theo was, I think in that press conference between, okay, like my entire life I would have killed for them to be winning 95 games a year, making the playoffs, you know, whether it's the wild card game or, you know, the NLDS, whatever, some form of the playoffs, um, competing for the division, you know, being there year in and year out now, apparently, right? Like when the Cardinals are eliminated from playoff contention and they're heading to the playoffs, um, but also, you know, understanding that, these are not your your father's or your grandfather's cubs and the bar has been raised and they didn't meet that bar that they have kind of set for themselves this year so so it it sort of feels like everybody's in this weird spot where you don't want to like be like oh well that was a failure and that sucked and and this team you know blew it and all that other stuff but you also don't want to be you know they got they're you know, we're talking to you on October 4th, guys. They're not playing anymore, right? And, you know, I think certainly you look at the Colorado Rockies and you're thinking, like, this team is not better than the Chicago Cubs, and it's really bothersome that they're still playing, and we're not. So it, it you know, it just feels like this weird balance. So, like, where where are you with that? I know, obviously, you've described this offseason as perhaps a turning point uh, in one direction or the other for the organization. But just as we sit in this offseason here, where do you find yourself kind of on that scale of, yeah, 95 wins is great, and I'm proud of this group. They overcame a lot, and I, I don't want to be too negative on a group that keeps making the playoffs and, and et cetera, et cetera, but also – you know, they, they, they couldn't get past the Colorado Rockies and they can barely score runs as, as we head down, down the stretch here. Uh, so where, where do you find yourself in that? Well, if you've been listening to, I don't listen to you. So I, we know, we know, Corey, we know, but you know, other people do. If you were listening to us the last two years, 
I, I always said, like, embrace this era of Cubs baseball because you never know when this will happen again, if ever again. So I never, like, I never lose sight of that. I'm going to wear my Cubs World Series hat, like, tomorrow. And, like, that's insane that I get to do that. Um, I don't lose sight of that. I really don't. But at the same time, I spent a lot of time, Corey, a lot of time following this team. It's... It would be a complete ignorant thing for me to do to just put off what we've seen this year. And I, I, I love this team. I love the personalities. I love the players. I love the hitters. Of course, I love Joe. I love Theo. They did a great job considering all the obstacles they had this year. And to be honest, like I may look back on this a year or two from now, too, with the one word. And I said this in, in uh, recent episodes of resilience, because they did show resilience. But at the same time, again, we record, I think we have 180 hours, Corey, of you and me talking to one another. We got to talk about this. And I think it's a disservice not to talk about this. Where I'm at with this, I am disappointed. I woke up yesterday like death, okay? I mean, I, I think we all felt the same way. So at the same time, 95 wins is appropriate, but the way they went out was not the team whom we were grown to expect over the last four years. And this is not, this is not me being spoiled or whatever. I'm telling you, this is even what Theo said, like, this is a massive, a massive surprise. Everyone regressed and that's, that's what kind of hurts the most. I will never Never talk bad about the players, about the team, the coaches. I'm, and I still try to carry my words closely, even how I talk about Chili Davis, because I know, like, at the end of the day, this is still a top to bottom decision to bring that philosophy in. So it's not that. But where I am with this is one, I'm still encouraged. I still look at that age of the team. I'm very encouraged. Two, I, yeah, I am happy they won 95 games. I really am. But the fact is, I think think the way they went out in the fashion they went out was disappointing and you don't you didn't expect this team this bunch of guys to do that and it hurts because it hurts because our expectations are so high you're gonna get more pain it's gonna hurt worse and to get those highs man to get those world series highs you got to go through these lows and if i didn't feel this way if you didn't feel this way then like we probably wouldn't care that much. The fact that we care this much uh, or hurt this much shows we care that much. That's what being a fan is, man. I don't care if you you go to the playoffs seven straight years. If they do this, I'm going to feel the same way. I'm going to feel like complete crap the next day after they lose. So that's where I am. Hopefully that makes more sense. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I don't know that there's really a good balance for this i I don't know that there's a right answer. Yeah, I don't even know if it exists. Yeah, because I, 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 I read... You know, a few things I think on on opposite spectrums, and and both times I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't know if this is really me. Like, I, I think the uh, you know the the kind of more like, oh, everybody shut up. They won 95 games. They won. The, they made the playoffs. They can't win every year. I'm like, well, you know, that doesn't tell the whole story. So I don't know if I buy that. And you know, by the opposite token, you know, you have the the people who are you know, this is a total failure, total choke job, you know, Joe blew it, these guys, you know, and I'm reading that going, all right, calm down there. Like, you know, this is, (laughs) this is a little much. Uh, 
So, uh, yeah, I think I find myself somewhere in the middle where, you know, I think the the predominant thought here is that, yes, you know, it was a, it was a good season. It was a successful season. And, you know, one, I think in a vacuum, you would take pretty repeatedly, you know, if you didn't necessarily know the outcome or, or the specifics. Um, but, you know, kind of like you talked about, I think the concern and, and what maybe pushes you more towards the middle and, you know, kind of leads you to fret about this stuff a little bit more is, you know, these windows aren't open forever, right? And, yeah. you know, we, yeah. we already yeah. see like, you know, Chris Bryant had some health problems this year and you you don't know how that stuff. Everyone did. Everyone right. And did. when you just don't know how some of that stuff rectifies itself and, um, you know, it just, you know, it's one of those things we inch closer to the years where, you know, some of these big guys have their contracts coming up, you know, you have arbitration to deal with each and every year. And so I think the, you know, what pushes you more towards the middle, uh, rather than just, you know, being optimistic or, or et cetera, is, you know, I, you don't want to call it a waste, but it's just, you know, there, there's not an infinite number of years where this group, this core, this setup is is going to be this competitive and, you know, have this chance to play into October and hopefully deep into October. So I think when you look at this and you're thinking, okay, like we gave up, uh, what is it, six or excuse me, seven runs in those three games that they lost at the end of the year and they couldn't make that work. You know, it's hard to not feel like you're, you know, you're kind of punt away one of these prime chances and you know they're not all created equal um you know at no point was this team uh as good certainly not better than the 2016 team really not even close um and they're not all going to be like that and i've talked a million times about how this stuff isn't linear they could be uh you know in the fifth year next year they could be better than they have before you know they could win 110 games next year you you, you know you never uh know which direction this stuff is going to go but I think that's kind of the thing that, you know, you're really feeling on uh, Tuesday or excuse me, Wednesday morning is, you know, yeah, like I'm I'm proud of this group and, and they did a really great job. And, you know, we've talked about all that they battled through and, you know, you, you look at these these games down the stretch here and just the fact that like Chris Bryant is just not himself. He's very clearly injured and, uh, you know, they still managed to battle through and have a really good year. That said, you know, there, there's, I think, always going to be a part of you that, that feels like, all right, well, if they were this close, you know, you, you know, you kind of feel like you're letting a, a good, you know, a good chance slip through your hands here, you know, by not, uh, you know, being able to score runs and, and the offense just, you know, totally uh, imploding in on itself. So, yeah, I, I just was curious your thoughts on that, because I think that, you know, in these days after they they're eliminated you, know, you just see the the full spectrum of reactions from people um and you know usually it gets pretty heated in in the, in the comments or the the mentions etc wherever the you know these conversations are taking place you know where you just have people not able to see eye to eye you have the uh this was a total failure you know these guys are losers like they blew it down the stretch versus the everything is peachy. This is the golden era of Cubs baseball. Don't ever complain. Don't ever talk bad about any of these people. And, you know, it just, uh, feels interesting, I guess, trying to figure out, you know, where I am on that spectrum and, and, you know, how much of each, each side I can kind of relate to or or sympathize with, et cetera. It's, it's difficult for me to maybe 
communicate that appropriately. I, I, I am where you are. And I think anyone who follows this team to the degree that we follow this team and several other fans that write about the team or podcast about the team, it it hurts. And that's that's the reality of the situation. Like, yeah, I'm really grateful that I get to experience this year and and I'm really grateful that we got to experience Home World Series Championship uh, in, in which we always talk about. But that's to to get this upset, not angry. Angry is not the right word. Maybe sometimes it is actually, but just down and just upset. It that's the that's the nature of being a fan and doing this, and that's kind of where I am with that. Um, and we, can, we honestly we can talk about this for for hours if you guys wanted us or or, or if iTunes let us to be honest, but. One last quick topic, Corey. I think we have to talk about it because it is news. Addison Russell suspended 40 games. Theo talked about it, did not have a prepared statement. Uh, Melissa uh, Righty Russell was being interviewed by The Athletic, by WGN News. Uh, The suspension seems deserved from uh, Major League Baseball's investigation, and rightfully so. He's he's gonna have to own it. We'll see what the Cubs do in terms of his future with the Cubs. But Melissa's courage and her bravery in coming out, um, hopefully, as Theo said, and this is from Theo's words, that it would be a growing experience. And one thing I did appreciate about Theo was he mentioned Melissa um, directly and how he's going to reach out to Melissa to make things um, good for her going forward. And of course, I'll talk to Addison Russell get him to change and make this kind of, uh, of a growing experience of mutual benefit from Melissa's side and, and Addison's side. Now, what that means from a baseball point of view, who knows? Personally, I think Russell's days as a Cub are over. I could be wrong, but just the, the ability for him to actually grow and learn from this may need discipline, and I don't think the Cubs actually want to deal with this drama um, come next year. We'll see what happens, but I just wanted to throw that out there that Russell, if he were to remain as a Cub, suspended 40 games retroactive to September September 21st. So in reality, we're looking at around 30, 32 games at the start of 2019. Right. And Addison uh, is not, he is officially not uh, going to appeal that suspension. So this is it. It's over. Yeah. Um, and you know, my understanding of it is that it brings this situation to a close. I don't believe, uh, that Melissa is going to file, you know, a police report or do anything in that regard. Uh, but she and others did cooperate with this MLB investigation. Um, I did have, you know, some people reach out on Instagram, you know, and, and, uh, when I posted the press release from major league baseball and ask, you know, did this mean that it was all confirmed or, you know, how does this all work? What, what should we, you know, take from this? Right. And, you know, I think in, in an absence of a police situation, we're not really ever going to know, but what I would tell you is the MLB is not suspending somebody for 40 games for, in their words, uh, violating the joint domestic violence policy for (laughs) nothing. 
uh, you know, or yeah. hearsay or, you know, stuff that they cannot corroborate. So whoever spoke to Major League Baseball, again, you know, the reports that I read uh, said that it was Melissa and several other people connected to the situation. Uh, they must have discussed or confirmed or corroborated something that uh, they deemed, again, violated their joint domestic violence uh, policy with the Major League Baseball Players uh, Association. So, yeah. again, I I think this is going to be the end of it. I think that both of, you know, Addison in his statement said he's accepting uh, this suspension. He's not going to appeal uh, because it he just wants to move on and, you know, be able to put this situation behind him and, you know, for his uh, son. And, you know, I think this is it for Melissa. You know, she gets her, she said her piece. Uh, she spoke her truth. And, uh, you know, she just wanted to be able to put that out there. And, you know, she said time and time again throughout this process that she is just, uh, you know, committed to helping other women who are in these situations and, you know, trying to help them uh, feel more comfortable and, 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 you know, get their story out there. So, uh, as far as my understanding of this is, this is it. This is all we're going to hear. This is the end of this situation, uh, that has been going on for a little over a year now. Um, and you know, like Brendan said, uh, you know, I, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, he would be suspended again, obviously for, for the 40 games. Um, you know, and Theo was noncommittal in the press conference. He spoke, you know, like you said, Brendan, really mostly on, um, you know, reaching out to Melissa and, you know, trying to learn from her and, you know, how they can uh, be better as an organization in a situation like this. Um, and he also spoke about uh, wanting to work with Major League Baseball. You know, they agree as part of suspensions like this that there is, uh, I think it's some kind of counseling or uh, some type of help for Addison in a situation like this. And that was really what Theo focused on. He was asked if Addison would be back as a Cub. And he said, I don't know. I can't, I can't rule it in. I can't yeah. rule it out. So yeah. uh, ultimately, you know, they'll have to make a decision on this. Um, I, you know, my initial read on it, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he does not play another game in a Cubs uniform. Um, I think, you know, Theo has just made a point pretty repeatedly uh, about this character stuff. Um, you know, and you can certainly point to other examples in the past that contradict that. Um, but, you know, this is a player who was developed in their system. Uh, and, you know, this kind of all happened under their watch, if you will. Um, so I think this one is a little different than, you know, maybe bringing someone from outside of the organization, uh, like a Roldis Chapman, who, you know, that situation had already been dealt with. He had already been suspended and, you know, it wasn't something that happened within their organization. So I think this one is a little different. Um, you know, and I think you combine that with the fact that we were already having conversations months ago about wh what his place was going to be in the organization going forward, um, you know, purely from a baseball standpoint. So I think when you combine the fact that his future was probably a little unclear, um, even before this stuff resurfaced, you know, I think he was the main subject of all those Machado talks, um, you know, and certainly half the, the, the fan base really, it felt like was, was, you know, had already sort of given up on him, wanted Javi at short full time. So I think you, you know, you combine that with the fact that, you know, now we do have kind of a definitive answer in this investigation. We have a definitive punishment and, you know, kind of the, the book is closed. 
on this uh, domestic violence allegation, investigation, you know, and ultimately um, punishment, I I just would not at all be surprised. I, I would say it seems likely to me that he doesn't uh, suit up for the Cubs again. But again, Theo was not really committal on when a decision would be forthcoming on that. Um, you know, I have no clue if he has any sort of trade value at this point or if it would just be on the Cubs to, uh, you know, non-tender him and send him on his way. So, yeah, that is uh, where that situation is at. And, yeah, until they decide uh, what they're going to do with him going forward, that's really, I think, the last we're going to hear of this particular situation. Yeah, who knows what he'll be doing come spring training. Who knows what really half this team will be um, during spring training. But there's one thing for certain. You can get tickets to spring training in five months, of course, through SeatGeek. But you know what? You don't have to just go to baseball games uh, during this during this offseason, whether, the, whether it's the airs in the fall. You can still go to other sporting events like football, basketball is coming around the corner. But, of course, football is back. And getting tickets online can be far too complicated for those events, especially with hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability. It's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value throughout the year, guys. I say this with no exaggeration. Every baseball event I went to was through SeatGeek. I mean, I went to a few games. I'm on L- in, in L.A. I went to a few games hours before. I went on SeatGeek, used my phone, downloaded the app, instantly got tickets, no sweat, completely easy and best of all you guys our listeners you get twenty dollars off your first seat geek purchase you want to go to that bears game on sunday you can do that using our promo code cubs related just download the seat geek app and enter promo code cubs related today that's promo code cubs related for twenty dollars off your first seat geek purchase seat geek life's an event we have the tickets Corey, my Final two thoughts. My first thought is I still am incredibly, incredibly encouraged despite this year to see what the Cubs will do in this offseason. I still think Theo and Joe and a lot of the players on this team will be put in position to win next year. I just I, I just have a hard time believing that with this amount of talent, this team will continue to, to hit this poorly, and I, I have confidence in that. My second thought is I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in with us twice a week. Um, it, it makes it more fun for Corey and I to get on here, the podcast, to kind of vent to you guys. It's almost therapeutic for us to talk through this microphone to you, as I'm sure it is for you to listen to us. So I want to thank you for that. And, of course, we'll be continuing to record throughout the offseason. Of course, if there's any breaking news, you have a guarantee from us. We hop on, we talk about it, we get it out as fast as possible, and we've done that in years past, and we'll continue to do so. So again, thank you for listening to us, having fun with us, and and going through the highs and lows throughout the season. And I hate to say it, but there will be more lows in the future, but there will be more highs, and we're glad to share that experience with you guys. Yeah, I think that uh, that is is, you know, one of those things that 
I do take solace in and, you know, I do fall on that end of the spectrum and in that particular regard is that it is uh, nice and always comforting, I think, to be able to look at this group and, and whatever your feelings are on how this season went and ultimately came to an end. I think that you have to feel pretty good about, you know, the hands that this organization are in or is in, sorry, uh, is in. But I, writing isn't my strong suit. Numbers, Locks, Locks writing, <laughs> speaking English, you know, basic human functions are not really my strong suits. We know, yeah. we know. Um, but I, I think that you're right. Like this this team is still in a position to win. And, you know, they, they have money. They have uh, a talented and smart front office. And a new TV deal, by the way. We didn't. We didn't. We never mentioned that, but they will be getting a Cubs network, which means lots and lots of money. Right. So, you know, th- those are good things. And you know, we we talk about the window and all that other stuff, but it is it is still open for how long? Nobody really knows. Uh, hopefully, a, a very long time. But I think that that's, you know, when you kind of are able to. All right. You know, season is over. It's done. You know, put it put it in a box and put it away. Um, you know, I think you're able to, at the very least, for me, take comfort in knowing. You know what? We are still in that era of Cubs baseball. We are still in this era. This team uh, still has a lot of talent. Has a lot to look forward to uh, in this off season and and as we head into next year. And that's always something uh, that you know I don't want to take for granted. So. I, it, the organization is still in a good place, and you know whether that comforts you uh, for this season, I don't know. But you know, hopefully, uh, as the the months draw on here, you know we can kind of uh, appreciate that that you know we are still going to be heading into an off season and a free agent class and and stuff like that um, in a good place and as a team that is committed to trying to win a championship. Uh, and, you know, again, that obviously has not been the case, uh, throughout most of, uh, Brendan and I's life, uh, obviously other than the past, uh, four years. I, you know, the, the, the final, I guess, thought I have, um, on this season, I I think echoes a lot of what the players and Theo said that, you know, it, uh, it was a fun season. It was a good season. Uh, but it, you know, it was very trying at times. It, 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 it did feel like this team, uh, you know, maybe never clicked completely, you know, and, and got on that role, uh, like we've seen them do in, in, in some of these other years where just kind of feels like they, they, they've hit the gas and, and they're just cruising, uh, for, for really long periods of time. Um, but it was fun. It, it was, uh, you know, a, a fun summer at Wrigley Field going to a lot of these games were a lot of, you know, really fun moments. Um, you know, I think the David Bodie walk-off uh, walk Grand Slam will stick yeah. with me for quite some time as, you know, just one of yeah. the better experiences I've had at a ballpark, um, you know, and, and, and seeing something like that live. And, you know, there were a lot of, you know, really fun moments uh, during this season, you know, being able to watch Javi Baez blossom into, I think, what so many people had envisioned for him for so long um, and and the journey that he took us on really from the beginning of the season, um, you know, the, the MVP case that he built, uh, ultimately he 
almost assuredly will not win it, uh, just with what Christian Yelich did over those last few weeks. But it was still, uh, you know, a joy to, you know, be able to watch someone that we've all cared about and learned about and, and been paying attention to, you know, since he was brought into this organization and, and the years he spent in the minor league system. And, you know, to see him go out there and really head towards that ceiling of his that we've always uh, heard of and dreamed of, you know, I think is also something that will will really stick with me from this season, you know, just thinking about things that, um, you know, maybe we'll, we'll look back on and, you know, the way that we uh, maybe talk about like Derek Lee in 2005, you know, and, and that still, that's a good comparison. My whole life has, has stuck with me as something that uh, I'll never forget. And, you know, something that I'm even to this day, grateful to Derek Lee for just doing that, you know, um, and, and giving us that, that experience and uh, just the opportunity to watch them play at that level and uh, do it in a Cubs uniform. So I think, you know, there, there, uh, you know, certainly some other things. Again, I, I hope that the the work that the pitching staff did doesn't get get lost in in the in the weeds here. Um, you know, John Lester had a very good season. Uh, Kyle Hendricks had a very good season. Jose Quintana, I think, had a pretty good season. And you know, they bring over Cole Hamels, who was great for this team. And you know, again, when you get bounced that early, you really don't have time to reflect on a lot of this stuff. But uh, it was it was such a good addition by this front office, and and the role that he played down the stretch, and even in that uh, wild card game, you know, was was really remarkable and just such a hit on on a trade like that. Um, you know, so stuff like that. The bringing Jesse Chavez over uh, and the work that he did, you know, down the stretch and in these very important games you know, after the game, he's telling reporters in the clubhouse that if he doesn't have uh, a, a Cubs logo on his jersey uh, when he puts it on next year, he's done. You know, basically, uh, you know, I love it. suggesting that if he's not a Cub, he doesn't want to play Major League Baseball anymore. Um you know, so those are the things that, you know, I, I think really stand out for now. And and I think that, you know, again, I always want to remember, like, I was I was and remain very disappointed and upset uh, in the way that this season ultimately plays out and finishes. Um, but there, you know, it there's a lot that goes into winning those 95 games. And I think that at least for me, and I, I hope a lot of you or most of you, um, you know, growing up my whole life as a Cub fan and, and spending so many years watching awful teams or teams with a lot of potential just squander them away, you know, and not even make the playoffs, not even get close to the playoffs. Um, you know, and just again, you know, as someone who has watched uh, more innings than I'd care to admit of Nafi Perez playing baseball. Stop it. I, how dare you, know, try you? To, how dare you bring up that name in this podcast? For this one, I'm trying to provide a little brevity, Brendan. It can always be worse, right? You know, um, <laughs> but I just, That's you know, I, I just, I, I, I like to stop and, and reflect on seasons like this. You know, it didn't end the way that we wanted, um, but ultimately, you know, being able to watch a 95 win Chicago Cub team and, and spend time at Wrigley Field and, and be going through, um, you know, a last two weeks, three weeks of the season or so that was really intense and meaningful and exciting. It's, you know, something that I, I try to make sure um, isn't totally lost on me. But uh, I'll finish with a similar 
sentiment like Brendan. Um, and then I'm going to take you guys out on a quote. Um, I assume most of you already know which one it's going to be. Uh, but it is really the perfect one, I think, to finish this post-mortem episode and officially guide us into the off-season. Uh, you're going you're gonna to do the quote I'm thinking of, aren't you? I, if you're thinking of a different quote, I don't think that you've met me before. You're, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna do but, the quote. Okay, do it. Firstly, I am going to echo the sentiment from Brendan. Um, it's, it's really cool to be able to do this podcast. We received um, quite a bit of feedback in the, in the last couple days uh, from you guys on Twitter, in the iTunes reviews, etc., um, that were really positive and uh, humbling to a degree. Um, we never really knew what was going to happen with this podcast. I mean, literally, Brendan and I met on an internet forum, um, and we just, I asked him, I was like, you know, can I join up with what you're doing? And if you're doing a podcast, I'd love to be a part of it. I just want somewhere to talk about the Cubs. And, you know, to be here a few years later and, you know, see how many people listen to these episodes uh, and interact with us and, you know, tell us that they look forward to the episodes for their drive to work or, you know, when things are, are bad with the Cubs, they want to hear us, you know, kind of bring them back in, you know, off the ledge when things are really good with the Cubs. They want to, you know, kind of share in that uh, excitement and that emotion with us. And it's really cool. I, I mean, there's just no other way to put it. It's not something that uh, Brendan or I expected. And it's uh, humbling and an honor to have anybody consider us, you know, anything resembling a voice uh, on the Chicago Cubs. So uh, we thank you guys very much for that. And, you know, uh, we, we enjoy talking about the Cubs. We enjoy putting these episodes out. Uh, but it is... In, a, in its own special way, rewarding to uh, hear from you guys and, and, you know, to be a part of uh, other Cubs fans, Cub experience, and, you know, for you guys to be a part of that for us. So uh, we, we really do thank you for that, uh, sincerely, for, for listening, for uh, looking forward to the episodes, tweeting questions to us, stuff you want us to talk about, um, you know, and even... You know, sometimes the uh, disagreement, you know, is cool. It's just cool to to have this outlet and and to uh, have people wanting to interact with us and talk with us about the Chicago Cubs. Uh, so uh, I, I think that I, I definitely echo Brendan's sentiment there that we thank you guys very much for that. And we thank you guys, you know, again, for those iTunes reviews and just the, like I said, the tweets we've received over the last few days, you know, just about uh, how we kind of enhance the experience, you know, of a baseball season for some of you guys. That's really, really cool. Um, and again, not something that Brendan and I really ever anticipated. I think like 10 people might have listened to the first episode and I'm 99% <laughs> positive that four of those plays were my dad. Uh, so <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's just cool to uh, be where we are now and, um, you know, to kind of uh, sit back and appreciate that while we can. Um, but that's it. So again, like Brendan said, We'll, we'll we'll keep you guys up to date. Um, I think Twitter is the best place for that. Um, I am at CF Cubs related on Twitter. Brendan is at Cubs related on Twitter. That is also the handle of our Instagram page. You can uh, DM us there or comment on one of the posts. Uh, that will be me, though, that reads those, not Brendan. 
I don't think he has a password. So uh, that is a Brendan. I yeah, I don't think that I is do. a Brendan free zone. <laughs> so uh, if you want to talk to just me, you can either hit me on Twitter or on that Instagram. Um, but we'll keep you up to date. I, you know, we like doing this podcast. Um, so if there is enough to talk about, uh, you know, I think we'd like to keep a, a consistent schedule, you know, coming to you guys once or twice a week, uh, you know, every week as we head into this off season here. But obviously, uh, you know, we're not in the business of wasting your guys' time. So if there's uh, not stuff to talk about or we just don't, you know, feel like we can really bring you guys uh, something interesting or a quality audio, we're not going to do it. So uh, just stick with with us. We'll, we'll, we'll keep you up to date there. It'll be maybe a little interesting going forward here, obviously, because we're not going to have any baseball to uh, break down or discuss or kind of guide the conversation. And uh, the off season doesn't start until uh, everybody else is done playing baseball. So sort of an interesting spot, but just stick with us. Uh, again, we, we enjoy putting this podcast out. So if there is stuff for us to talk about, um, you know, and, and be interesting and entertaining for you guys, we will continue to do so uh, on a regular schedule. But with that, uh, I am going to leave you with uh, this quote and, uh, you know, then my uh, usual sign off. Uh, so again, it, you know, we thank you guys. It's, it's been, uh, this is our, I think, third Cubs season of, of doing this. Um, unfortunately, you know, we kind of started on a high note. We started doing the podcast on a regular basis and then they won the World Series. So uh, it was a difficult standard to keep up. Uh, but even though the outcome here wasn't what we were hoping for, it was uh, still a very fun season of uh, Cubs baseball and certainly talking about it with you guys here on this podcast. But I am going to leave you with the wise, wise words of number 34. Also, you know, just briefly, just to circle back, if you were watching that wild card game on Tuesday, you remember when I said that it was, you know, maybe up in the air who the number 34 belonged to. I'm just saying if you were watching that game, I, I had a thought. Yeah, I think you guys know what it was, but I'm just saying, like, you, you, how many times does he have to deliver a performance like that in the playoffs before everybody's on board with that? That's all I'm saying. Anyway, aye, aye, aye. I'm going to leave you in the wise words of John Lester. And he said, quote, after getting eliminated, sometimes you need to get your dick knocked in the dirt to appreciate it. Maybe we needed that. This has been the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. As always, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and again, the Blog Talk radio feed has moved to Spreaker, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. -E -E so if you are looking for us on BTR, you can find us on Spreaker. Again, stick with us uh, on social media or uh, email, wherever you guys want to find us. Uh, we will keep you updated on what the schedule is going to be. It has been a pleasure talking about Cubs baseball with you uh, for the last few years and certainly over this uh 164 games it ultimately comes out to the 2018 Chicago Cubs uh, and we will officially move on to uh, you know really looking ahead to the 2019 Cubs again we thank you guys very much for listening and these words don't unfortunately have any meaning until uh, 
you know, next March or April. But as always, uh, you know I mean it from the depths of my soul. Go Cubs. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.